the when I first felt my call to ministry. And uh, you got to be careful about the feelings that you feel at summer camp, at church camp. Uh, it's quite the place to feel all sorts of emotions, you know. It's great that I first felt for the, the real sense that I was called into the ministry. And so I appreciate the choir bringing that to us this morning to remind us that we are all really called and led by God somewhere. And that we do have a choice. We can respond to that calling in really profound ways. And so uh, thank you, choir. We continue our worship series, Shiny Gods. We started last week. We're in our second week. We'll end next week with Commitment Sunday. This worship series serves as our annual giving campaign, our stewardship season uh, here at White Rock, where we begin uh, the process of making financial commitments to this church and our ministry and our, our mission in East Dallas. And so our Commitment Sunday will be in helping us kind of set the budget of what 2020 looks like. We'll say more about that later, but... The theme for this worship series is Shiny Gods, naming our idols and prioritizing our faith. And last week, I think we started the important work of naming the things that are in our life that take our focus away from Jesus. I gave you all a task at the very beginning of my sermon last week to begin listing out the most important things in your life. The truth is... That that can be people, it can be ability, it can be hobbies, it can be stuff. But I do believe that when we start listing them out and placing a value on them, by listing them out and recognizing how much time we're spending on each of these important things, when we list them out and realize how much these things are costing us financially, when we begin to get a whole picture of the most important things in our life, we begin to realize that we are giving uh, an incredible amount of time, passion, and money to things that are often not related to our faith. And when we're really honest with ourselves and we do that important discernment work in our own life, we can begin to see just how little room we have created for God in our own life. And so... We need to kind of go back to the definition of idol that we used last week because I think it's an important one, right? We're defining idol this way. Anything or anyone that receives the primary focus of my passion, time, and money that first should belong to God. Anything or anyone that receives the primary focus of my passion, time, and money which first should belong to God. And the shiny gods then in our life, those things that take away from what we really need to give to God, they begin to limit our own spiritual growth. There is no doubt about that. They also begin to limit the church's capacity in the world to bring about the good news of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And these shiny gods that we place on our mantles keep us trapped in a world that is always trying to sell us something. 
And so today's sermon is going to be a difficult one, a challenging one. We don't shy away from those here at White Rock. And so I'm going to invite you uh, to pray with me as we get started. Gracious and loving God, may we have the courage to listen to what you have to say to us this morning. May it stay with us. May we ponder it. May we pray about it. And ultimately, may we begin to do something about it, that being removing the idols in our life. We trust that we are able to do this because your grace is sufficient and will lead us into this place. So make your presence known to us this morning as we continue to work to be the church that you have called us to be for a specific purpose in this specific place. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So our first text you'll see in your bulletin, I have chosen actually two texts for this morning. The first text is in Deuteronomy, which I often don't preach sermons in Deuteronomy either, just in case you're wondering if it was just kind of a thing from last week. I didn't really preach, I haven't really preached a lot of sermons from 2 Kings. I really don't spend a lot of time in Deuteronomy crafting my sermons. But uh, this morning we will begin in Deuteronomy in the 28th chapter. And so here's a little context, right? God is speaking directly to the Israelites in the wilderness. They've just been delivered from the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and God is leading them. God is making a way in the desert. God is sustaining them through the journey with food and manna and protection and promise. This is the covenant relationship that God has created with God's people. And so God is speaking directly to them. And we hear these words uh, in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, and I'll be reading verses 12 through 14. The Lord will open for you his rich storehouse in the heavens to give the rain of your land in its season and to bless all your undertakings. You will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be only at the top and not the bottom if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you today. By diligently observing them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I am commanding you today, either to the right or to the left, following other gods to serve them. The word of God for the people of God. So I like this text, and I like it for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons I like it is because it's, I, we, we see here in Deuteronomy God's ultimate desire for us, and I really believe for all of creation, right? That being that we are not intended to struggle. Uh, we are uh, given the opportunity to flourish. We are not to obsess about surviving. We, God wants us to be satisfied. God intends to help the Israelites flourish, right? We see it here in the text. God has told them that they will be the head and not the tail, uh, that they will be at the top and not the bottom. They are not going to want for anything. And in their abundance, they will not take out any debt, but will have the ability to lend to others, right? This is the covenant relationship in which God desires uh, to be in relationship with the Israelite people. This is what God desires for them. 
And it's really a glimpse into God's nature and God's ultimate grace, right? It's almost like God is pressing the reset button. God is kind of re-engaging after human failure after human failure in the book of Genesis. For the Israelites, it's an opportunity for both freedom and flourishing. They are simply to obey the commandments, stay focused on God, and they are not to stray to the right or to the left. And of course, they don't. They aren't able to accomplish what God has asked of them, which is saying something, because God has delivered them from Egypt in a pretty dramatic way, if we're being honest. If we read the account for ourselves, God delivers the Israelites in very dramatic fashion. It is not like some sort of slow peace accord that's hashed out at Camp David. God really delivers them in some pretty incredible ways, some apocalyptic ways, right? We get locusts and the parting of seas, and God is really dramatically setting them free and pushing them out into the world to create for them this new opportunity for them to flourish and to be satisfied. And so the Israelites are are freed in dramatic fashion, and it seems like it's all good for at least like two seconds. And then they start to grumble and complain, and they start worshiping, right, the gift over the giver. And I think it speaks to really our human nature. It's easy to believe that idolatry is a thing of the past. It's a thing that we read about in the Old Testament. But this text this morning really is an invitation for us to realize that we too are captivated, held hostage by the idols that we have in our life. That we as humans just have a tendency to go after the shiny God's that exist in our own life. And the Bible is full of stories where people simply can't resist. Adam and Eve, King David and Bathsheba, right? We see this over and over again that we simply cannot resist. And although we have an inability, a human inability to save ourselves, we still struggle with prioritizing God above all else because we keep chasing that which we can see, which we can touch, which gives us power, that which we think provides us security. And here in America, we have created quite the appetite for comfort, luxury, and security. And while idolatry is not bound by time or context or culture, there is something so seductive in our own country around wealth. And we struggle with both the ability to know when enough is truly enough, and we struggle with our ability to give wealth away. A report came out this summer, quietly, Uh, detailing the impact of our most recent tax cuts that had uh, taken place in 2017. Now, I, I like to watch the news. I watch the news a lot. And when those tax cuts came out, it was a big deal. In fact, there was story after story of corporations who were giving their employees bonuses. We were believed to see these tax cuts as a good thing for our economy. Some trickle down economics at work, right? 
But what's quietly come out over the past uh, several months is that uh, these tax cuts in 2018 had, um, had some unintended consequences. Um, the most recent reports say that Americans slash their charitable di- deductions by $54 billion. Of course, the tax code was rewritten in such a way that many of us simply did not claim our charitable deductions. That doesn't mean that charities lost $54 billion over the course uh, of 2018. Uh, but it looks like, it looks like adjusted for inflation, those who benefited most from the tax cuts, those who received the most money from the tax cuts, um, gave 3 to 4% less of their money to charity in 2018. Let that just sink in for a minute. Given more money, and people just held on to it. In fact, they, they gave less money. It's clear in our country that we love our money. Uh, I think we love the power it gives us. We love the freedom it provides. We love the stuff it can buy. We love the unbridled kind of capitalist notion that what is in our bank account belongs to us uh, and not God. This is ultimately an issue that I think we all face. Uh, I, too, fall into this trap uh, of making money an idol in my own life. I've been taking this finance class. I, I say taking it because I'm supposed to be co-leading it, but really I have no great financial sense at all. Uh, and so uh, Kyle Overcome has been leading the class, and he's done this incredible job. He's written an incredible curriculum, um, and it's all really good stuff. It's about our relationship with money and how it makes us feel and how we prioritize it. Uh, we kind of did an exercise where we talked about needs and wants, and while that seems really simple, when you really start getting down to it, it gets a little more complicated. Um, and I love conversations about budgeting because I always aspire to budget really well. I never do, but I try to aspire to, right? And um, so it's all been really, really good. And Kyle's curriculum's awesome. Like I said, he did a fantastic job. And if the class is offered in 2016, I, I really highly encourage you to take it because it's, it's that good. Um, but something happened last week that made me uh, a little uncomfortable. Uh, we, began, we began kind of talking about where our money is and where is it in the marketplace, which I don't, I, I know nothing about, about stocks, um, and so I'm really interested. And then uh, this idea of compound interest came up, and I began to realize that uh, my lack of um, investment in an early, at an early age has really cost me a significant amount of money over the past several years, right? Um, because I can't go back to 16-year-old Mitchell and say, hey, you should invest in the marketplace, and here I am at 35, And I began to believe that the fact that I got into the marketplace at age 27, like I lost so much opportunity, and I began then to kind of obsess about it and just worry about it. You know how I am. I tend to worry about things, and I started to worry that, like, there's no way I'm going to make up for the fact that I was not in the market when I was at age 16. I began to think and worry, worry about Cash's education, worry about my own retirement. It's kind of like tearing me up inside should probably call a financial advisor to kind of calm me down. But here's what happened. You know, really, my first solution to this problem, the first thing that came to mind 
what I need to do to like, correct, you know, my bad uh, investment advice that I got when I was 16, right? You know what I need to do? The solution I came up with? I need to make more money. Like, that's what I thought, right? Like, simply, I need to make more money. The truth is, the better, the better solution is really, I need to spend less money, right? And I think that it is so easy for us to believe that money will ultimately provide for us the things that God promises to provide on our behalf. If I'm honest with you all, there is something that is addictive about the dollar. And for most of us, I won't speak for all of us, for most of us here at White Rock, it has become one of our idols. Which is ultimately really dangerous. We hear a story of a man who approaches Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. So in Mark the 10th chapter, verses 17 through 27. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. And then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but for God... For God, all things are possible. That's a really challenging text. And Jesus really isn't mincing words here. Uh, Jesus is focused on money, on our desire for it, on our dependence on it. And Jesus is pretty clear that when we make money the shiny God in our life, uh, we will grow far apart from the life that God desires for us, the life that God wants for us and wants for others. Jesus' solution to the shiny God of money in our life is really to just give our money away to the poor and to begin following Jesus. That's Jesus' instructions to us. And that is really convicting and it's really challenging and it may seem impossible, but I want to tell you all, I really do believe it is possible. It is possible for us to remove the shiny God of money from our life. We can, through God's grace, get better at this. That's what we believe as Methodists. That God's sanctifying grace in our life gives us the opportunity to rid our life 
the idolatry of money. And so I, I, I'm going to just suggest three simple things. Well, they're simple, but they're hard. They're easy to understand, hard to kind of live out. But here are kind of three things that I think we can do, especially this week as we begin to wrestle with uh, money and idols. The first is, if you see in the text, um, Jesus invites uh, this man who's come to him with his wealth to give his money away. That's one thing. And then he says to the man, follow me, right? So it's give your money to the poor and then follow Jesus. If we are going to begin removing the shiny gods from our mantles, we must invest in the work of following Jesus, which for us at White Rock means we must invest in the discipleship plan that we launched a few weeks ago. We have to just do the work. We have to show up to the opportunities that are afforded to us as a congregation. And there are going to be two new opportunities that will come out of our office tomorrow morning. The first is on November 2nd. We will have an introduction into congregational care so we can begin facilitating the work of caring for those who are no longer able to make it to church. That the real work of providing pastoral presence and care for those who uh, are no longer able to be here, that work is a shared work. It is all of our work. And so we will be meeting on November 2nd to introduce you all to, to a process that is going to allow our church to become better connected to the shut-ins that are part of our community. So if you want to be a part of that work, show up on November 2nd, right? Also, in December, I'm taking a group, a small group of us, to the border. And if for a lot of us, what's happening at the border is of great concern, uh, I invite you to go with me on that trip, right? Diapers, etc., will need volunteers every time they meet. The last Saturday of every month, there's an opportunity for you to volunteer. Show up and do the work. Volunteer at the fall festival. Sign up for the women's retreat. Sign up for the pastor's Bible study. Listen to our podcast, right? Invest in the discipleship plan. It begins to help us prioritize our life in such a way that we can start removing some of the idols that exist in our life. And what would it look like if you canceled something on your calendar to show up to one of our church events? What kind of commitment would that show? Also, I think if we're going to get serious about removing the, the idol of money from our life, we have to enter into a season of prayer and discernment. You need to print off your bank statements. You need to look at your spending. You need to look at your debt. You need to look at your needs and your wants. I'm really encouraging you to set aside one night this week to sit at the table with your family and ask some questions, set some goals, and then looking at how much of your money you gave away in the previous year. And then prioritize your giving in 2020. That's really the most important thing we can do as we continue to grow as a church. And I won't be shy about this. I want you to prioritize your giving to this church. Next Sunday, I'll talk about why I believe this church and our collective ministry here at White Rock is the best investment you can make. But before Commitment Sunday next week, 
I want to just remind you all that our church is in this amazing place and we have an amazing opportunity in front of us. We're growing. We are vibrant. We are planting another faith community at Owenwood. We are pushing ourselves as a congregation and the fact is we need to increase our budget. So next week you will get a letter from me. If you are a member or you have a record of giving here at the church, you will get a letter from me that it states that our hope is to increase pledge gifts by 20%. The goal is for us to have pledge gifts in 2020 of $475,000. That's our goal. And I will tell you this because it's important. There are only really two people who know what you pledge and give to this church. It is our financial secretary and it is me, your pastor. Right? And since I know what you all give, it's only fair that you know what I give. And so even in the midst of my own anxiety about compound interest and my lack of investment in the marketplace, and even though we're going to have to stretch ourselves and make some real difficult decisions, I'm going to have to stop buying all the vinyl records I want, Eli and I are going to increase our giving to $9,000 in 2020. This past year that put Eli and, Eli and I's pledge this past year put us at the seventh largest giver in the church. And so we're going to increase our pledge because we need to be a church that is seriously taking the opportunity ahead of us. Um, and we are, I really, really want us to become the church that God desires for us to be. And that requires giving and sacrificing and making sure that we are treating our money as it is intended to be treated. Because I think the quickest and surest way for us to remove the shiny God from the mantles in our life is to trust what Jesus is actually saying to the rich man. It is to believe what we read in the gospel. That if we want to be followers of Jesus, we must become comfortable or uncomfortable, regardless, we must give our money away. Or better said, we must become better conduits of God's money and let it flow through our life into the world. May we be about that work in the weeks to come. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.